Now it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Chicago virtual stage, our moderator, Father Michael Garanzini. Father Michael is the president of the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities and the Secretary of Higher Education for the Society of Jesus. Prior, Father Garanzini was chancellor at Loyola University of Chicago for two years, and before that, president for 14 years. Father Michael, I invite you to unmute yourself and turn on your screen. Thank you, Michael. It's my pleasure today to introduce to you um, our guest speaker, Father Mark uh, Rotsert. Uh, Father Mark is a um, distinguished, really a distinguished scholar and has had a very uh, important career in the Society of Jesus. Um, he's at this point president of the Bolandist Society, but he'll be the first to tell you that he's not himself a Bolandist. Um, the the, the uh, research projects that um, go on at the, at the society uh, are undertaken by a, a crew of Jesuit and lay scholars. And, um, and, and, and he, over, he oversees the organization at this point. Um, he was previously a uh, senior fellow in Ignatian spirituality, and that's his real uh, expertise area. And that was at Campion Hall in Oxford. Uh, and director of the Center for Ignatian Spirituality, before that at the Pontifical Gregorian University. Father uh, Rotzert has served as senior superior of the Jesuit community at the Gregorian, president of the Conference of European Provincials. He was twice um, a provincial in the northern province, Belgian province. Um, he was novice master before that uh, in the in late 70s, early 80s and director of the Ignatian Spirituality Center uh, in uh, Hesse. Uh, Father Rotzer uh, has published widely on Ignatian spirituality, producing a Dutch translation of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, as well as the spiritual diary. Um, he's written several books on Ignatian prayer and Ignatian spiritual discernment, in addition to other topics that he's, um, he's written on. Um, he brings to us today uh, news about where the Bolandists are today and, and what they hope to accomplish. Um, you know, I think just recently in 2016, when uh, Pope Francis um, uh, cited the Analecta uh, for elevating the feast of Mary Magdalene to equality with the feasts of the apostles, calling her the apostle to the apostles. He's, as I said, he cited the Analecta for uh, reasons for doing so. So the Bolandists are still making an impact on uh, how we look at the saints today and, uh, and how we come to understand and appreciate the wealth uh, that they bring to our Christian life or in our Catholic uh, spirituality and our, our Catholic liturgies. So I'd like to ask Father Mark to unmute himself. There you go. Father Mark, welcome to our program. I turn this over to you. Thank you. So welcome everybody listening to this uh, webinar. Thanks, uh, Michael, for introducing me. So I will speak about spirituality, spirituality for saints. 
my personal uh, title of this conference would be, is there a specific spirituality for saints? You will see during this uh, conference that my answer is no. There is no specific spirituality for saints. And first of all, I want to say something about what holiness is and what it's not. What does it mean to be a saint? Many think that to be a saint is to be a perfect Christian. But holiness is not the same as perfection. And perfection is not the same as holiness. Every saint, also the saints who were canonized by the church, every saint was during his lifetime a sinner. And we all know what it is to be a sinner. But did Jesus not say, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? But I think nobody, no human being can become perfect as is our heavenly father. There exists a spirituality of perfection. And certainly, it has produced a lot of saints, but it did also a lot of harm to many Christians during the ages. The desire to become perfect can foster an excessive and dangerous voluntarism, as if I were capable of becoming perfect. If my will is strong enough, it would be possible. It just depends on my efforts but my willpower will never be strong enough to become perfect. Besides this voluntarism, there is another danger. This kind of spirituality of perfection risks being full of selfishness. It's about me. It's about my perfection. And doesn't the gospel invite us to a spirituality which is more oriented to communion with others, with our neighbors, with the poor. It's not about myself. And still another danger in a spirituality of perfection, it can easily become a very moralistic spirituality. So this is the first idea. Holiness is not the same as perfection. We are all imperfect, and so are the saints. We are all sinners, and so are the saints. We are all wounded human beings, as are the saints too. Thomas Aquinas says, gratia supponit naturam. It means God's grace will flourish where there is a sound human base. Let's have a look at this sound human base. A starting point is to accept that we are fundamentally limited, imperfect. Every human being has his own limits and its own vocation to learn to live with his limits. A healthy spirituality will help us 
first of all, to discover our limits. Where are my limits? And this is the beginning of wisdom. Because unwise is the man or woman who compares him or herself with others. I don't have to become like my neighbor. I have to become who I am in the heart of God. To discover our own limits is the beginning of a process to become more and more human. The next step in the process of becoming more human is to accept these limits. They are a part of our human condition. They qualify who we are, who I am. And this is a difficult step. We probably never have finished to accept completely our limits. It's an ongoing process. And finally, third step, we have to respect our limits. This is an important condition in order to grow and become who I am in God's heart. There is another condition for becoming a healthy human being, for becoming who I am in God's heart. And this is to accept the wounds life has brought. We bear within us the wounds life has made in us, sometimes deep wounds, painful ones. Nobody wants to be hurt, to be wounded. Nobody will live his life without scars, such as, for example, disappointment about the dream of my life. I had longed for such a different life. Or, but also disappointment about some friendship or some what went wrong in my relations with others because of infidelity, treason or betrayal. Everybody has his own wounds. They are a part of who we are, but at the same time, they belong to the richness of who we are. In as much as we try to integrate them, they give a very specific color to our life. And these wounds can make us more compassionate towards others. Three years ago, Pope Francis wrote an exhortation about holiness. The title of his exhortation is quite meaningful. I quote, the two first words are in Latin, Gaudete, the joy and exultate, on the call to holiness in today's world. First of all, Pope Francis is speaking about the call to holiness. That means we are all called to become saints. Even if we probably will not be canonized by the church, but we are all called to become a saint. It's the grace of our baptism. And it's up to us to let the grace of our baptism bear fruit in a path of holiness. Holiness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, 
we received when we were baptized. Every Christian has to find his or her path to grow to holiness, to grow in being witnesses of God's love. And I quote Pope Francis, we are all called to be holy by living our lives with love and by bearing witness in everything we do, wherever we find ourselves. Every saint, even the saints canonized by the church, remained during his life or her life a sinner, as I've said already. Every saint has his or her specific limits, his or her specific wounds. Pope Francis tries to bring holiness to our daily world today. I quote Pope Francis. He says, I like to contemplate the holiness present in the patience of God's people, in those parents who raise their children with immense love, in those men and women who work hard to support their families, in the sick, in elderly religious who never lose their smile. In the daily perseverance, I see the holiness of the church. Very often, it's a holiness found in our next door neighbors. Those who living in our midst reflect God's presence. So far the Pope. And this is a very, this last verse are very important, I think, to reflect God's presence in our life. This is a beautiful description of what is a saint. And a well-known example of this kind of saint is of course, Teresa of Calcutta. Everybody, including non-Christians, could discover this presence of God in her life, giving to the poor, dying on the streets of Calcutta. But there are also, there's also another Christian description of a saint. It's not only to reflect God's presence. And in the papal occitation, Pope Francis says, holiness is experiencing in union with Christ, the mystery of his life. It consists in uniting ourselves to the Lord, death and resurrection in a unique way, a unique way for each of us. So the most secure path to become a saint is following Jesus Christ, living out his good news. There is a path for each of us and to help us find our own path to holiness, Pope Francis proposes to us two important texts of the Gospel of Matthew. The first is the Beatitudes in chapter five. And the second text is the last judgment in chapter 25. It's very important to see that there are many ways to become a saint. First, the Beatitudes. I go through the Beatitudes following what Pope Francis is proposing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
The kingdom of heaven is theirs. The gospel invites us in this first beatitude to see where we find our security in life. Where do we find our security? When we find our security in wealth and richness, we easily become self-satisfied. And this is just the opposite of being poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means that there is some place for God's world in our life. It's an attitude of the heart where there is a place for God. He is the one who gives me true security. He is the one who makes me humble. And so says Pope Francis, being poor of heart, that's holiness. The second beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In a world where you have to be strong to survive the oppositions, the conflicts, in a world where pride and vanity are so predominant, in a world where everybody thinks he or she has the right to dominate others, the blessing of the meek creates a new, a different world. Elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart. Different Beatitudes can be compared with what St. Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, truthfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the meek strengths of a Christian life. The meekness in the Beatitudes is a characteristic of the one who is poor of spirit. His strength is in the Lord. And Pope Francis says, reacting with meekness and humility, that's holiness. Third beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, the world tells us exactly the opposite, entertainment, pleasure, diversion, and escape. That's the good life. The world has no desire to mourn. There is no place for painful situations. The gospel, on the contrary, asks for compassion for our neighbor who has to suffer. Compassion means to bear the pain of others, to need to kneel at his side, as does the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke. And the Pope says, knowing how to mourn with others, that's holiness. The next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst are intense experiences since they, invoice, they involve basic needs 
and our instinct for survival. Who design justice and yearns for righteousness with that similar intensity as hunger and thirst will be blessed, said Jesus. In a world where there is so much corruption and where so many people suffer injustice, the gospel invites us to work for justice for the most vulnerable. And the Pope says, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's holiness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Mercy has two aspects. It involves giving, helping, and serving others. But it also includes forgiveness and understanding. The Gospel of Luke is called the Gospel of Mercy. Jesus says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. In a letter announcing the year of mercy some years ago, Pope Francis said, mercy is the name of God. We all have been forgiven by God. So let us give to others his mercy which we received as a gift. Let us share his gift with one another. And the Pope says, seeing and acting with mercy, that's holiness. And blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. This beatitude speaks of those whose hearts are simple, pure, for a heart capable of love admits nothing that may harm, weaken, or endanger that love. And as St. Paul says in his hymn of charity, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but if I have no love, I gain nothing. And Pope Francis says, keeping a heart free from all that tarnishes love, that's holiness. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This beatitude makes us think of the many endless situations of war in our world today. But we ourselves are often a cause of conflict, or at least of misunderstanding. Peacemakers truly make peace. They, could, they build peace and friendship in our human society. It's not so easy to make this evangelical peace, which exclude no one. We need to be artisans of peace, for building peace is a, a craft that demands serenity, creativity, sensitivity, and skill. And the Pope says, sowing peace all around 
that's holiness. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus reminds us how many people have been and still are persecuted simply because they struggle for justice, because they take seriously their commitment to God and to others. Persecutions are not a reality of the past, for today too, Christians experience persecutions because of their faith in Christ. Jesus reminds us that the cross remains the source of our growth and sanctification. And the Pope says, accepting daily the path of the gospel, even though it may cause us problems, that's holiness. So far, the Pope. It's obvious that to become a saint, it's not necessary that a Christian should live out all the Beatitudes. Just one is enough. If we practice it to the end, to the full, that's holiness. Now, after having proposed the Beatitudes as many ways to live out our call to holiness in our world today, Pope Francis continues speaking about holiness in the next chapter. He gives the title, The Greed Criterion. It comes from the passage about the last judgment in Matthew 25. And I think many of us know by heart these words of Jesus saying, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to think, drink. I was a stranger and you gave me hospitality. Naked and you put clothes on me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Perhaps we too would be surprised if Jesus said this to us. His answer to our surprise is even more startling. I tell you, say Jesus, whatever you did to one of those brothers and sisters of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Pope Francis says about this passage, this text of Matthew is not a simple invitation to charity. It's a page of Christology. In this call to recognize Christ in the poor and the suffering, we see the very heart of Christ revealed, his deepest feelings and choices, which every saint seeks to imitate. But this moving text means also that people who don't know Jesus Christ are serving Christ by serving the poor. So all men and women who serve the poor, as did St. Teresa of Calcutta, and so many other saints who served the sick, the prisoners, the slaves in Latin America, and so on, have committed themselves to individual poor and sick people. 
But there is also another way of helping the poor, the sick and the prisoners, the slaves and the migrants. And it is to work on the possibility to change the structure of injustice of a modern society. As did, for example, Father Pedro Arupe, the general of the Jesuits, when he created this international service called GRS, Jesuit Refugee Service. Even if the creation of the GRS is of course not enough to proclaim Father Arupe a saint, of course not. Nevertheless, the GRS made it possible that many men and women, lay people and religious, are giving their life for the poor in difficult situations. Many of them certainly in a huge degree of holiness. There is still another important text in the Gospel of Matthew in which Matthew makes clear what it means to follow Jesus on his way. And this is the text with an, um, about an uh, ambitious mother, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the two disciples of Jesus, James and John. She asked Jesus that her sons might sit on either side of him. But Jesus asked his two disciples if they could drink the cup he is about to drink. Yes, they answered. You know the story. And when the other 10 disciples heard this, they became furious with the two brothers. This means that all of the disciples have the same ambition in their heart. And so they became jealous. The reaction of Jesus is very strong. Do not what big people in the world are doing. Instead, who wants to be big about you will be your servant. And anyone who wants to be the number one among you will be your slave. Just so the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To be a servant rather than wanting to be served, that's another fundamental theme to the whole gospel. That's how this disciple of Jesus should live. Did the disciples understand what Jesus was saying? Well, not yet. And the others, we don't know. But what we know is that at the end of the gospel of Matthew, when Jesus dies on the cross, we see the following women under the cross, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jacob and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. They follow Jesus till the end, till under the cross. So the mother who asked this strange question to Jesus, she is there. There are no disciples under the cross but the mother of the sons of Zebedee are there with some other women. So at the end of this part concerning the Beatitudes, the greed criterion and Jesus' example of a life in service, 
it's clear that there are many ways to be a saint, as Pope Francis says, many concrete ways to live out of fidelity to the master. Because this is a good description of what is holiness. Growing in union with Christ, a Christian becomes a sign of God's presence in our world. If it remains true that holiness is a gift of the Spirit given by God's love when we were baptized, this doesn't mean that we become a saint without effort. We have to collaborate with the Holy Spirit. And how can we do so? Well, just some conditions. There's much more to say about that, but just some conditions. And the first one is, I think it's difficult to become a saint without prayer, without the sacraments. It is by our prayer that we grow in union with Christ, by contemplating Christ in the gospel. Ignatius of Loyola says in his spiritual exercises, that by contemplating Jesus in the gospel, we should ask the following grace, to receive interior knowledge of Christ, so that I may love him more and follow him on his path. But also sacraments are important to grow in familiarity with Christ. The Eucharist is so important because the Eucharist, in the Eucharist, Christ is giving himself to us so that he can grow in us. So that at the end of our path, we could say together with St. Paul, it's no longer I, but Christ living in me. Also, the sacrament of reconciliation is important because in this sacrament, we receive God's mercy and compassion. And this makes us merciful and compassionate. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. A second condition is humility is a way to make holiness grow in our life. But becoming humble doesn't mean becoming a small little child. Saint Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon in France in the second century already said that it's God's glory that man should live his human life completely. God wants us to live our human condition as much as possible. He wants us to use the talents we received. Humility means not that we are very small, but it means that we have discovered our correct place towards God and towards our fellow, fellow men and women. Another point, self-renunciation. Many saints speak about their self-renunciation. It's not a word that we use much today. But what is self, or what can be self-renunciation for a Christian? in a Christian perspective. 
It has nothing to do with self-mutilation or with masochism, of course not. Such a negative interpretation of self-renunciation can become a dangerous ideal in a Christian spirituality. Self-renunciation is not an ideal we should long for. That's very important. The Christian self-renunciation is the result of a greater love. To be much more personal, we were at home, five children, but I never heard my parents speak about self-renunciation. They never used this word, but I am sure that they had more self-renunciation than I have as a Jesuit. Their self-renunciation was not the ideal, but the result of their love for their children and for each other. They were not looking for what was best for themselves, but for their children, for what was best for them. And this is not possible without self-renunciation. Finally, another important aspect of becoming a saint is what you say in English, frankness and boldness. In the Acts of the Apostles, Luke uses regularly a specific word to express the manner of which, in which St. Paul preached the gospel. And it's paresia. I don't know how to translate it into English. But this Greek word paresia means different things. First of all, to listen with humility to what is the truth of the gospel. And secondly, it consists in speaking the truth with courage, even if it puts me in danger. I'm not sure that the English words frankness and boldness express exactly what you say about St. Paul and his manner of bearing witness to the truth. Well, of course, the last condition is probably the first one, and I have not to develop this, we all know, but it's remained very important. Love is the first and the last word of the good news of Jesus Christ. I will finish. I hope I made clear that there are many saints in our church has made clear also Pope Francis in his apostolic exhortation on the call to holiness in today's world. But not all have been canonized. Not all have been recognized as such by the church. If not for the labious work of the Bollandists, we would have lost hundreds, even thousands or the precious text about these saints. For centuries, these mostly Jesuit scholars have applied all their energy and scholarly skills to research through archives and libraries to find and preserve the stories of the saints. 
even for saints as well known as St. Francis of Assisi, it was the Bollandists who discovered and published the saint's earliest biography written by Thomas of Celano. This precious document would have been entirely lost to history if it was not discovered and published for the very first time by the Bollandists in their Acta Sanctorum in 1768. So the Bollandists are the custodians and promoters of an important part of our religious, historical, intellectual, and literary heritage. My friend, Father John O'Malley, when he inaugurated the series of seminars, called them a hidden treasure of the church. The Bollandists are well known for their intellectual honesty and modesty. And we are all stakeholders in this unique enterprise. And we have a moral duty to preserve their scholarship and know-how for the benefit of future generations. And we need your help for that. I thank you so much. Thank you, Father Mark. Well, we appreciate very much your remarks and, and uh, uh, you've given us a lot to think about and, and much, to, much of it is uh, very inspiring. Um, I'm gonna ask you a few questions. Uh, some, some folks have sent some questions in, but I've got some to start with. You know, this is uh, Lent and you began your uh, presentation with a, a nice description of um, holiness is not perfection. So my in Lent, the church, and this goes even through the, the, the Old Testament and certainly in the New Testament, but the church asks us to especially attend to prayer, to almsgiving, and to fasting. How do those contribute to our growth in perfection, but rather growth in holiness? Or do we sometimes mistakenly think that these will make us perfect? Prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. What's, what, how would you comment on that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Good question. Uh, we are in, uh, in fast and time, so it's... Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think it's... The important thing is how do we... What do we mean by perfect? And perfection. I think, and as I said, uh, even if uh, holiness is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit, this does not mean that we have to make some efforts. It's, holiness is not coming so from heaven. So we have also to, to help the Holy Spirit. We have to collaborate with the Holy Spirit. And I think that means also in very concrete dates not only in spiritual nice uh, ideas, but in helping the poor, giving uh, alms uh, where necessary, uh, prayer. So that's uh, without prayer. So I think I repeat that uh, the most, uh, I think important um, definition of description I give uh, of uh, 
sanctity of uh, holiness. Uh, it's to be so united with Christ and his way of life and the gospel, so united with him that we become a sign of God's presence in the world, even in the world who doesn't know God or doesn't know Jesus Christ. But I think that's a very good, but the first element is to be united with Christ, to be a bit familiar with, uh, and that's, we are not never at the end of that. So we never will be perfect, but we can grow in it. So th th that should be my first answer. Good, thank you. Um, you spent a good deal of time in your, in your presentation on the Beatitudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, the, in, in, in Matthew's, Matthew 5. And uh, when I look at the meek, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for justice, the merciful, the persecuted, mm. so many of these, of these people exist today um, in places that are not uh, our places. That, that is, when I, the, these, these people are represented heavily in those parts of the world that are really cut off from most of us in the, in, in, you know, in the developed world. Um, the saints seem to be in the third world. <laughs> the saints seem to be mm -hmm. in all of those places of suffering. Um, how do you think about that? Uh, you know, it's, it seems that saints are being created everywhere in the refugees and the migrants in, 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 in war-torn countries and so on, where there is incredible amount of suffering. Yeah, well, I, I think um, you have to, to take two elements in the gospel of Matthew. Huh? It's, and I think this, if one is this beatitude about the mourn and peaceful and uh, but there is the other text, Pope Francis uh, quote, and that's the judgment, last judgment. Oh, what you did to the poor, to the suffering people, you did it to me. I think even we should be surprised if one day the law says this to us, because many times it's not the reason why we do it. The reason is to help the poor. And that so many people do this. Also, not Christians, huh? and, and uh, so many people all over the world. And I think that's a very consoling idea. Hmm? Of course, this kind of saints all over the place will probably not be uh, canonized by the church, because the canonization is also to not just to say, well, the church thinks this man lived his life in a very high Christian level, and, uh, but it's also to make this person as an example for the church, for the local church or for the universal church. Right? That's, uh, that's a very specific aspect of uh, why to canonize some people. But you are right. And I think this, uh, uh, this words of Jesus in the, this chapter on the last judgment is a very, there's a very strong, very strong. And I think we, we never will understand it completely, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes, very good, very good. Um, you, you, uh, you, were, you spoke a bit about your own family, your own yeah. parents, yeah. and seeing them as, uh, 
is real examples of self-renunciation, I, I think you said, and real humility. Um, do you think most of us learn what holiness is from people right in our midst? Some people, people that raise us, people that we see every day. Isn't this the first school of holiness? I think it's, it's, the last thing I said about is some conditions to how to collaborate with all this Spirit to become a saint is uh, had to be the first one is about love. And that remains also most important thing in our lives. That's, uh, and that's, and self-renunciation in Christian perspective for me is a result of love. It's not a condition. It's not an ideal. What I, I have to, be, why that's, uh, that's yeah. not very Christian, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yes. I, even if we did that sometimes in the past, yeah. perhaps yeah. born in the past, but it's, um, but someone who gives his life, uh, St. Paul says it's so in, in so many letters and that you have to consider the, the other uh, more important than yourself. Huh? Yeah. Well, I think the danger is that we make, uh, yeah, definitions about holiness, as I did in my <laughs> conference, and about uh, self-renunciation and so. But it's very different when you see people living it, even if they don't know the world. Hmm? But they live it. And that's, I think, also to see what the Pope invites us to see in our neighbors and people we are living with, to see some saints. <laughs> of people becoming saints, uh, I think that needs, you need to have very good eyes to see that, and in spiritual yeah. eyes. You have to, to look with your heart, with, with, with your Christian faith. If not, you never will see it, of course. It's not, a, uh, it could be a danger also to, to put, um, uh, an etiquette to put a thing yeah, on, on, on every people that's a, that's a saint, that's a saint. While Saint Ignatius say very well uh, in the spiritual exercises, he has a small rule about that. Huh? They say, well, keep it with the saints of the church. Huh? And don't start, <laughs> this man is better than Saint Paul and this is better, so yeah. well, okay. Yeah, yes, very good. You, you know, uh, Father Mark, um, the Bolandists have been famous too for correcting uh, our perceptions, our ideas, and some of the legends of the saints. Um, and um, in modern uh, scientific method has been able to, you know, unearth and to, to this, we've been able to discover that saints have flaws or some, many saints, well, they were not perfect. I think, I think you said that the sainthood is not equated with perfection. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do we say, what do you say to people who, who hear that these saints were not perfect, even some recently canonized saints that we discover more and more, well, they, well, they had flaws. Uh, is this for, is this, should this depress us or should this encourage us? <laughs> well, uh, I, I will start to answer. And if it's not an answer, please uh, repeat your question. But I start with, and when I heard you, I, I think so. When I was provincial, 
and when in my province some uh, young Jesuits had to be ordained priest. Hmm? So the bishop asked to the provincial audience, uh, are they ready to be ordained priest? Do you think they are? No, no. in, in our church here in Belgium, it was uh, in that time a bit a new custom that the provincial of other people could tell a lot about this man, what he did and why, why he think uh, he said, yes, he is. I found this a very, very difficult job because it's not the moment right, to say to the bishop all the defects and the bad things about this man. <laughs> they are there, they are there. Well, of course they are there. Yes. And many people in the church know them. That's right. <laughs> but also it's not the moment to make him a saint. That's right, yeah, yeah. But he's not yet a saint. Eh? You will, so you will discover, this, uh, we will discover how human he is as time yeah, goes by. That's, so uh, it's, yeah, it's not to say from uh, people, well, I think this is, for me, it's a saint. Uh, then you look to his positive things, but knowing he will have also his sins and his uh, imperfections and uh, his wounds. And, uh, but it doesn't matter. There is enough to say, what he's doing right? in a very simple way, but very you know, strong way. Uh, this man has something yeah, to become a saint or, or yes. becoming a saint. Well, yes. that should be my answer. <laughs> we are all a work in progress. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, could, there was uh, someone who asked, someone asked us, um, could you say a little bit more about the what Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. This is, this is difficult for us to understand. And yeah. could you say a bit more about this? Yeah, I will try it, but it is difficult uh, to understand. And I think like, like many things in the gospel, we may not interpret them on a literally basis. It's a, it's a spiritual text. It's a, uh, so it gives a direction. Uh, it's a, it's, that's the direction too. And of course, uh, I quoted both in my introduction, not at the same time, but Matthew says, be perfect as you, you say, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Well, we feel a bit more at ease with the second one. <laughs> even this is even so difficult <laughs> to be. Yeah, it's still difficult. So heavenly father. Well, there is only one heavenly father. I never will become as so heavenly father. So it's more on uh, how do we say to to invite people. Uh, that's the way to to go. That's you are in the good direction. I think it's a bit the same as. Uh, well, the Ten Commandments, commandments uh, we, in the past, is there are commandments and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you cannot do this, and you cannot do that. Now we say, well, these Ten Commandments are not just commandments, they are ways, if you want to live more profoundly, better, that's the way to go. Yeah. So I think that's a bit the same by um, 
be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's a, and as I said, with the spirituality of perfection, it makes a lot of sense, but I think it did also harm on many, uh, many Christians, especially in religious life, my sisters and so. So that's because it was a, a misunderstanding of what is perfection. Uh, so it became very moralistic yeah. and very myself is my perfection. And that's, that's not only Christian, well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, that's really helpful. Um, I have two questions about saints, about praying to saints, or um, has the church helped us in this modern era to know how to approach saints, how to, how to pray to saints? Is this a good practice? Um, where does this, where should this be in our spiritual life today? Praying to saints or speaking with the saints ourselves. How do you feel? What do you feel about that? Well, I, I think now you are speaking about the saints and uh, praying to them, canonized by the church. It's all fine. Yes, or yes, yes. As the saints by the church. Eh? Yeah. Well, um, well, I, I should say, uh, your prayer or all prayer is always finally directed to God, but it has many stages. <laughs> you can pray by Our Lady, because you feel more at ease with, with Our Lady, with the woman, or by this saint, of this saint, because it's, uh, it says something about your own life, because you, you feel that you need to go in the same direction as the saint. So I think, I have no difficulty to accept that people uh, pray to, uh, but knowing that yeah, it has not to become uh, yeah, something absolute. It's it just also a saint is for us a way, a path to God. It's a, sorry, it's a path to God. And it's a, I think that um, today I heard recently but I, I forget the, the right uh, formulation, but recently I heard that Pope Francis has given a new criterion officially. Hmm? Why to um, say of someone he's a saint uh, recognized by the church. So if you are a martyr, no problem. Hmm? That's the most easy way to become a saint. <laughs> Not always a pleasant way, but, uh, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and then for the other one, you need uh, a miracle hmm? at some stage. In the... And now Pope Francis has added something. Well, the formulation is not correct, but it's, it's uh, how to someone who give his life, of her life, uh, for the others. But not by being killed, of, <laughs> but just to give a life. So, as Mother Teresa in Calcutta. So that's a. Uh, I think that's and I think that's a very big change in the policy of the of the church and of uh, holy making church. <laughs> so that yeah. Uh, yeah. that I think that's uh, and I think this is also much more. Uh, yeah, nearer to our mentality of today to to understand that such a person can be a saint. And that's, uh, well, I, I heard now or I read that uh, there are three sisters 
uh, from a congregation who were missionaries in Africa. And they went there to help for the Ebola disease. But finally, they got themselves Ebola yeah, yeah. and died uh, yeah. in their service to the people. Well, there is no, this process has started of these uh, sisters. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's a beautiful, uh, and there are some other uh, examples, I suppose. Uh, that's what yeah. I was trying to say. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's, um, it's easy to see in these examples, um, and that's why I think that's why the church points them out, because yeah. we can see holiness. Uh, one of the one of our viewers today wrote in and said, "Why is it so difficult to believe in holiness? Why do so many people have a difficult time believing that holiness is existing?" Um, you know, it, it 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 reminds me. The question reminds me that many people are very cynical about the world, and they don't believe. They believe things are bad, but they're getting worse. <laughs> so, so it's hard sometimes to believe in holiness. How, what, how, does, how do you reflect on that, the difficulty for some people to believe in holiness? Yeah. I remember that once at, uh, in Belgium at a big conference of a Christian uh, group, they invited people uh, quality to, to to give some conferences. And one was a journalist. And in her speech, she said, because someone asked, why do the, the newspapers give so few good news? It's all bad news. It's all about war and about corruption and about... And she said, good news is no news. I disagree. I disagree, well, but I was very surprised. She was a Christian, huh? but I was very surprised as a good news is, I think, if we look too much to television, up <laughs> 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 uh, to the social, uh, social media and so, we become cynical. Yeah. So we have to change our direction where we are looking for. We have to learn to see good people, good things, even small things. Huh? That's uh, because I think that's a very big danger. One, if you become cynical, you are dying. Your spiritual life is dying because for it all has make no sense. And uh, so I think it's we have to learn, and perhaps we have to help people to look to other people, to other situations uh, where you see well that is also something different. So perhaps it's a good example, I don't know, but I have looked a lot last weekend to the Pope's visit in Iraq. Yes. So I had in the Vatican News and you can follow the whole thing on your uh, screen. I think in a, a country where there was so much uh, terrible things and, uh, and you saw it and it was the, the ruins are, are always there and uh, so many Christians and, and not Christians were murdered and uh, yeah. And then you see Pope Francis, old man going <laughs> difficultly, 
going there, bringing peace, bringing uh, fraternity, bringing... Uh, and you could see how people were happy uh, with, with the visit of the Pope. And I think that's a very good contrast in a world of so much war and, and, uh, and murders and whatever and so And then you see the Pope coming there very simply, hmm, saying simple things. Hmm, and you saw the people, they, they became open and uh, happy. That's, uh, so that's what I mean to say. We have to look on another way. If we look only to many of our programs on television, well, we, the danger is that we become cynical huh? and that we see so many bad things who are there. They are there, but there are also other things, yeah? but we are not helped to see them. That's very good. That's very helpful. And uh, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, this is a, this is a man who um, he allows us to see yeah. the holiness of people exactly. around him. Yeah, exactly. yeah. A beautiful sign. You know, we have one more question for you, um, uh, and, and this has come from several people who would like you to say something more about what the Bolandists are working on today, and who's supporting them, and how you how you are doing there in 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 Belgium, and, and tell us a bit more about the Bolandists and about the, the Bolandists <laughs> and the, the the work today. Yeah, well, well uh, the work today is still the same as in the beginning. So they are making uh, studies on a very high level, uh, scientific level. That's their reputation in the whole world. So all the faculties of history know the Bollandists because of their uh, excellence. In the, so that's a very, very interesting. And um, well, so they continue to do, to study lives also, but also many texts of saints right? that's uh, in different languages and so that's a that's a very I should say you have to be more or less a, a Benedictine to do this work <laughs> <laughs> and for a Jesuit it's so to say every day every day uh, looking there but at the same time so they are trying now because I think it's necessary to have more contacts they have contacts with other universities, with other specialists, with other scholars, and they, they, I am very, um, very uh, so. There's a very, uh, uh, oh, no, I forget what I, what I wanted to say. They bring me another news, but um, yeah. But it's exciting that they're that they're collaborating with scholars in universities. Yeah, that's uh, it. today, and, and it's important because there's lots of there's a lot of potential collaboration. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's and and I see. So when I participate here, on, I, I come every week normally on the Thursday, and then they have their meeting together, and uh, I'm very impressed about the the range, very big range of contacts they have. Yeah. They have, uh, they public uh, um, a journal twice a year, on Alecta, Bolandiana, and uh, they always uh, study 
how many articles do we have and and it's uh, and they have done uh, another series that's of books they published not from themselves but from others and I'm very surprised now I know it okay I know <laughs> but every specialist every scholar want to have his article in the Analecta Bolandiana because that's the big uh, journal. That's, that's the standard. Yeah, yes. if you are there, if you can publish there. And so they are quite exigent. And they don't accept everything. It's, it's a whole, I see the process <laughs> before an article is accepted. Uh, well, my goodness. Uh, and it goes back and it comes back. And so, but okay, so that means also the books they published. When your book is, has been published here, your name is made, I mean, in that area. In the, scholar, of, of the scholarly scholar. world, yeah. yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. So the Bullen is continuing to be very productive and very, and yeah. in, in helping us out understand this yeah, yeah, aspect yeah. of our spirituality and our church yeah. and our life as Christians Absolutely. and Catholics. Yeah, yeah excellent. Uh, Father, thank you very much for all of all of your wisdom today and, and your help with us, helping us understand. I, I couldn't get to all the questions, but no. uh, but there hopefully another time for this. So. Well, they asked me to say something, just uh, perhaps someone else will do it, but to announce the next seminar in May by the director of the Bollandist. So he is a real Bollandist. So, the real one, you know, about the Bolandes and not yeah. about the spirituality. <laughs> so it's an important thing. He, he knows his uh, his topic. Huh? So, okay, that's it. Thank you, thank you, Father. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure also to discuss with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you yeah. again, uh, Michael. We turn this over to you. Great. Well, uh, once more, on behalf of our audience members and on behalf of all of us at Lumen Christi, I want to thank you, um, Father Mark, uh, for a fantastic um, talk. And um, I also want to thank Father Garanzini um, uh, for, for a fantastic job moderating today's conversation um, and helping uh, us to continue to see not only the connections um, about the work that's going on with the Bolandis today, but especially for those of us whose mission it is to be connected to the university um, and to advance the work of the Catholic intellectual tradition at the university, to know that there are already connections taking place, um, not only at secular universities, but also especially at Catholic universities and Jesuit universities like those um, that you are helping to steward across the nation today. Um, I wanna thank not only the Bolandis Society for co-presenting today's event, but also America Media, the Jesuit School of Theology of Santa Clara University, the Institute for Advanced Catholic Studies at USC, the Hank Center for the Catholic Intellectual Heritage at Loyola University Chicago, and the Harvard Catholic Forum, all for helping to ensure the success of today's event. Once more, Father Mark, Father Michael, thank you for um, helping us to have a, a, a little dose of spirituality in the saints within this period of Lent. And we look forward to when we can welcome you back again. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.